remember that I spoke in episode one of this podcast to a friend, Amanda Hargreaves, who's a radio producer, and she's based in Rome. So today being Monday the 4th of May, and the first day of the easing of some of the lockdown measures in Italy, I thought it made sense to have another chat with her. Uh, the current state of things in Italy is that you're now allowed to travel within your region, and you're allowed to... Uh, go and visit relatives as long as you're wearing a mask and so on. But there still are a lot of businesses that remain uh, closed. So anyway, Amanda, it's great to have a chance to chat with you again. Uh, where are you? I'm just in the shop, just paying for some oranges just now. So keep, keep... Quattro Okay, that's it. Non vedo niente, però so che c'è un sacco di spicci. Ah. <ride> cioè, allora, qua... No, manca... manca. No, no, vabbè, perché c'è un altro... Vabbè, grazie. Ciao, ma ciao, ciao, ciao. Right. I have to take the advantage to actually go into a shop where I can almost touch the food now these little kind of grocery shops which are really the best fruit and veg here but you couldn't go in before now you can go in and you can actually see what you're buying because otherwise before you had to say well I want four oranges and you just didn't know whether they were the kind of oranges that you would have chosen a bit like having an online delivery right so where where are you I'm in the street now. I was going to go for a walk in the woods, but then I started walking in there a little earlier, trying to get out of traffic noise. And I thought, this is really dull because actually there's nothing going on here at all. This is the same woods. You know, you could be, apart from the fact that I know I haven't been able to go there, it's exactly the same as being in a silent anywhere, which we've had far too much of <laughs> so I thought I'll tell you what I will maybe go up the street a little bit because it does feel like a normal day today even more people than there would have been prior to the lockdown it seems like everybody rushed out the door to kind of stake a claim on liberty there's more traffic you can probably hear it in the background lots of traffic and lots of people mooching around in multicolored masks We've all got our own varieties. And I thought, I don't know, maybe that would be more interesting to talk about. Than... That sounds lovely. It, 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 the way you describe everyone rushing out of their houses, it, it reminds me of, you know, the, the first day of sunshine in Scotland, you know, in the year <laughs> yeah. when suddenly people are outside with their shirts off, you know, when it, the temperature gets to 11 degrees. Yeah. I know, exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's what my stepdaughter's been doing in Edinburgh. She's... Uh, been kind of working from home and in her lunch hour as soon as it hits you know like weak sunshine through the Edinburgh cloud she's out there on her window ledge sunbathing <laughs> I mean she's a hard yeah. adult she's already tanned because they had a really good week last week apparently apparently they've had a couple of great weeks yeah so yeah so how do people um can you tell um despite the masks can you tell that there's <laughs> are people generally smiling are they looking is it just a general sense of relief? I don't know. I think um, people's eyes crinkle up if you get close enough to see whether that might be a smile. But that's one of the worst <laughs> things about the mask wearing business is that you just can't tell 
whether they are smiling or not. And it's really lots of eye kind of eyebrow waggling and whatnot has to go on to make up the fact you can't see the mouth. Not only that, right. but you can't actually hear people very well when they're talking to you if there's any background noise because you can't see their lips move when you don't realise, at least I didn't realise, how much um, you depend on seeing people's lips when you're listening to them. As, you know, yeah, of course. It's, it's really strange. You, can, you do find yourself going, sorry, what, you know, rather more than you might normally. There was a big lorry that went past there. Oh. Anyway, um, the other thing is that it's getting hot here and sunny. So now we've got the added disadvantage of people wearing sunglasses. So that means that you can't recognize half the people that you're passing. Right. I think because we're in a kind of, you know, village-like neighborhood here in the burbs, a lot of people recognize me because of my strange colored hair, gray, <laughs> and also because of my clothing, because I don't dress like a man, you know. So people recognize me and say hello, and I have no idea who they are half the time, which is uh, even more than usual. I mean, that happened to me anyway. You know, you stick out a little bit because you're the foreigner. That did actually happen to me quite a lot. I had no idea half the people who cheerily said hello were. But now it's even worse. You might still be right. wearing a balaclava. You know, if you go out right. with a huge mask on and sunglasses. Gosh, you should mm-hmm. also wear a hat, but, you know, that's unlikely at least. And, of course, everyone's hair's grown massively. <laughs> Apart from people who had shaved heads in the first place, who were the lucky ones. You know, you can't actually recognize people very easily, often because their hair is gone. You know, they haven't been able to dye it, so it's suddenly gone gray at the roots. Or they haven't been able to, you know, get rid of the uh, afro, you know, fuzz or whatever, and they look completely different. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a strange. Oh, here we go. First traffic jam. I can give you an exclusive. First traffic jam. <laughs> you can hear that. They'll be re- rabid yelling in a minute because some idiots parked as per usual. Double parked. Uh, here we go. Lots of swearing. Um, oh, yes. It's a van. It's a white van driver. You could have guessed that one. Parked in a stupid shape. Nobody could get past. And interestingly, oh, here we go. Lots of insults. Lots of insults. Which I'm sure Elisa would understand. I'll spare you the, <laughs> the direct translation. Um, and the bar, which is, I would have thought would have been closed still because they're not legally open again for another uh, two, I think it's the 18th of May. But I think they seem to be allowing people to take takeaways. So you can stand outside the bar and mm-hmm. order through the door for a coffee or whatever, and they'll bring it out to you. Right. I think that's why there might be a queue out there. But it does seem like an awful lot of work for the bar because they have to sanitize everything to the hilt and wear what looks like some kind of full astronaut you know, uniform in order mm-hmm. to serve coffee to people standing outside who are going to pay you all of 90 cents for the, yeah. <laughs> for the coffee. I don't know how they're going to make a profit out of that kind of transaction for a long time, I must say. Well, it, yeah. it, is, something that, it is something that I've heard that... Um, a lot of restaurateurs and cafe owners are a bit frustrated. I mean, at the sort of partial nature of this freeing up of the regulations, right? Yeah, I know. I mean, it's very frustrating. For them, particularly, it's very frustrating. 
but also for clothing. I think you mentioned the word, you said previously, you know, that you were, you had this sense of fatigue about it all. I mean, I guess people are kind of about done with it, you know? <laughs> well, there's a lot of boiling frustration um, as well as fatigue. It depends how desperate your own circumstances have been over the last couple of months. There are people who've not been able to get any money coming through the door at all, despite, you know, even state age supposedly coming to help them, but still hasn't arrived. And they've really had it, you know, because they're just what to do. Um, and they've just, you know, they'd rather get as far as they get than actually sit at home starving for the rest of, you know, yeah. the, the summer. So there's a lot of that, but particularly in certain sectors of, of the workforce, I guess, the people who are working in the cash economy are the ones who've really suffered, i.e. the poorer ones. Yeah. Um, and uh, then there's the uh, the fact that, I mean, I've had a lot of stuff recently, actually, in the British press, because it all seems to come in a wave after everything else here, about fatigue and why people feel so tired. And I think it's a bit like having too many things open on your on your device at the same time. It, it, you've constantly got a background murmur in your head of, should I be doing this? Should I not be doing this? Can I be doing this? Should I not be doing that? Have I disinfected my hands? Have I cleaned my shoe soles? You know, all that kind of stuff. It's exhausting because you've got to be keeping on top of things that you're really not used to keeping on top of. And somehow you're reacting to the normality of waking up and seeing the sun shining and, you know, breakfast has to be made for kids and school has to be somehow done, even online. So you've got all the normal stuff, but on top of that, you've got this background hum, which is really tiring. I feel a bit like having tinnitus, you know, the audio equivalent uh, would be tinnitus. And you, you're never really quite able to switch off that part that's underlying, that's thinking, what the hell is going on? And what, how did it happen so fast? You know, it's almost like a shocked reaction that's still not really being digested because we don't have an end point. We don't have a clean cut solution waiting for it. I think that's really tough. Yeah. However much you look at it with optimism, you know, you can see that so many things are going to take a very long time to get back to even any kind of functionality. And the pressing concerns of work, family, you know, school, whatever, there's still no dates. There's still no real structures put in place. And, I mean, that really is a fact for any of us. So it's, it's very hard not to worry about the day after tomorrow. So you're trying always to stop yourself thinking about the day after tomorrow. You're trying just to keep thinking about tomorrow or even today. And that's not natural. So, so let me ask you this then. What are you what are you worried about then yourself? Oh, well, I mean, I think I told you I'm we're moving as soon as we can back to Scotland. And we spent two weeks, it feels like a very long time, assiduously trying to flat hunt in Glasgow and um trying to get some kind of reaction from the possible schools there as to what may be happening. And you know, just kind of everything's so vague and not 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 organized yet that 
you can't get beyond a certain point with any of this. And yet we know that we've got to be there somehow in a home, in inverted commas, um, you know, with with a school nearish by August. Yeah. Which is really not very far away. Um, and we've also got the, you know, the idea of it's getting hotter here. And I'm worried about the kids who've really been, you know, distracted by every possible device we could throw at them to sort of keep them entertained as well as the having to do some schoolwork. We've had two months of this and, and they are, you know, starting to look really detached from reality now. And they can't wait to get into water, for instance. Not that they don't wash, but, you know, it's getting hot. We're in Rome. Nobody stays in Rome when it gets much hotter because, you know, you go to the pool, you go to a swimming pool, you go somewhere where you can cool off. How do you do that when they haven't opened the swimming pools and there's no real notion about how they're going to do that? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those sorts of things are really quite immediate worries because, you know, we live on, on the top floor of a flat of a building which has a lot of sun coming down on it and we're getting a lot of heat already uh and we guess we've got air conditioning mm-hmm. but it's really unpleasant being endlessly indoors with air conditioning on i mean you'll know in australia i'm sure you've got your fair share of really hot weather <laughs> but you know you've got the sea nearby and and we actually the sea isn't that far away it's about 45 minutes drive to get to a decent beach but at the moment, we're still not able to do that because you're not allowed to have a picnic. You're not allowed to go out yeah. still <laughs> with more than, you know, one child per adult. Um, and therefore, you can't go on a family excursion. So you can't sit and sunbathe in a park, even though they've opened the parks. You know, the rules are so complicated. <laughs> they keep on sort of sending around, you know, little sketches and maps and things saying, okay, what you can do, what you can't do, in which circumstance, with whom, for how long, you know, and it's, you need a degree. I mean, that's another thing that's tiring. I'm allowed to do this, I'm allowed to do that. Can we, you know, get away with this? Can we get away with that? What's the point? You know, it's just, it's a lot of, of stuff that is so confusing that there is yeah. a risk that people will just go, oh, for God's sake, you know, I don't care anymore. And then, of course, all hell will break loose. And there is a bit of that that's gone on already, obviously, in some parts of the country where people have just went to the beach anyway. What the hell? Um, and uh, yeah. the police had a you know, marvellous time giving everybody fines and, and all that. But that's only going to magnify as time goes on. Do you have any sense of it, you know, from your own perspective as a parent, right? Do you have any sense of, uh, I mean, I have like sense of the future, but for me, uh, as I think I've mentioned ad nauseum in the um, <laughs> chats that I've been having with people, it seemed to me like a like a version of the climate change upheaval, right? That that this was a version of the climate change upheaval um, in, in a compressed period of time. And... Um, I, I'm wondering if if this has if this has made you wonder about the longer term, not life chances of your kids, but just like what kind of experience they're going to have. Oh, yeah. in the world, you know what I mean? Yes, yes. Well, absolutely, because in fact, you know, the whole thing about first getting through schooling, and then hopefully they might want to go into some further education that will you know kind of focus them a bit better but actually 
if this sort of situation can happen regularly, or even if it never really solves itself, the idea of what they could do, which would be an area that is not going to suddenly be closed down by a crisis like this, is quite, quite hard to imagine, partly also because the kinds of things that they're interested in anyway didn't exist, you know, when I was their age, and I can't even advise them. You know, it's like online platforms to do this, that, or the other. Um, and I'm like, oh, really? You know, people make money out of that? Ooh. You know, and, and they've, they've got all sorts <laughs> of random ideas, which may or may not be completely unrealistic, but they have nothing to do with a course that you could set them on yourself as a parent. So then you have to think, okay, well, enough that they have some kind of keen interest on, in something that they can pursue in some useful way. But at the moment, it's hard to foresee a world where, you know, if, that's, if, if you're supposedly never quite going to be able to go back into an atmosphere of crowds and gatherings, that really affects your whole behavior pattern over a longer period of time and your outlook on life and your ability to connect with other people in some way. Because you're never really yeah. going to feel like you're part of the world in a real sense if you can't rub shoulders with people in a certain level of, of crowd or intimacy. I mean, great for agoraphobics, but if you're, you know, outgoing and curious, yeah, it's, yeah. it's quite hard to be curious in the same way about the rest of the planet. If you can't get out there and experience it, and it all becomes a little bit too virtual. And I see my kids are already a little bit too virtual. And I'm thinking in the long term, how does this affect their psychological health? How does this affect their ability to resist difficulty and adapt to change? You know, it's, it's really hard to advise them or even to give them a sense of comfortable, you know, prediction that certain things will not change, certain things will always be there. It's it, yeah. those are the sort of I mean it's all a bit abstract that but I mean those are the sorts of things one ponders and then there's the other stuff which is like the really practical stuff that they look forward to you know like having a party because it's their birthday or going to buy a pair of jeans you know you can't go into a shop if you go into a shop you can't touch anything it's all going to be online more and more which is you know kind of depressing in a, in many ways. You can't have a party unless it's a Zoom party. You can see one friend, you know, perhaps at a distance with a mask on. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, all the things that kids really look forward to, going to play football in a team. How can you? You know, yeah. um, going to a dance class in a, in a closed space, in closed space with, with a teacher who can, you know, sort of tell you where your leg is in the wrong position by actually moving you physically from one point to another on the bar. You know, those <laughs> things just can't happen and they might not happen for a very long time. And I, I just, I don't know what, you know, Tiro, my husband, is very um, optimistic about, oh, but, you know, We'll find new ways as a as a society somehow, and the kids will be in a great position because, you know, they'll be, um, they'll be in the sort of new world that will have to grow up around all these problems and logistical obstacles, and they will be in the vanguard of that. Um, and I'm thinking, yes, but that's still very much blue sky. I still can't quite visualise how it's going to work for them. 
you know, trying to keep them cheery because they can't physically spend time with their friends, which strangely enough is much more important than online time with their friends. You would have thought it wouldn't have bothered them so much, but it really does bother them not to be physically in touch with their friends. I mean, it bothers all people. My mum in Scotland, you know, she doesn't like using video calls and stuff. She hates them. So she spends a lot of time, you know, not having another human countenance to look at. And that's not good. And my kids have lots of human countenances to look at, but that's not at all what they want. So all of those things are hard. Well, I mean, what about you in Australia? You're in a kind of rural... You're... No, no, right, 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 right. Yeah, it looks like I'm in a queue for the supermarket. In fact, I'm not. But um, maybe it should be. <laughs> Why waste the time? I could be queuing. There's always a queue. I can join any queue. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Yes, uh, you're. You know, you're. How many? You've got two, haven't you? And they're little still. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I. We we did go down to the park. Uh, this evening and there were about 10 other kids riding about on their bikes so they did that and everybody's riding about and riding about and riding about so there was no they were keeping approximately appropriate distances between <laughs> between each other yeah um but but i, I am I, I was talking to somebody today and we were just talking about the fact that um as parents we've we've worked really hard to delay um, the introduction of excessive screen interactions mm. from their lives, right? Yeah. We've really tried to kind of no iPad, you know, you can watch a film on the computer, but we don't have a TV. Yeah. And, you know, Jenny, that sort of passive way that you can allow excessive screen time to sort of seep into your life. Yeah, absolutely. It's just completely washed over us now, right? School is a screen. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, you need you need a break, so you you know we do the thing that you've tried to not do for years, which is stick them in front of the TV, so you can so you can chat to your own friends online for half an hour and have a beer, yeah, right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, so so mediating the entire social world through a screen is is peculiar and disturbing to me, I guess, on some level. But it, it is a bit like your your description of tinnitus is, is a very good description because it it's something that um the, the unease and the disquiet kind of goes on at a background level for yeah. me. Um and it it's only when I'm lying in bed late at night and I can't sleep because I've stayed up too late and I've been reading or something that these things start spilling through my head about the longer term vision for the world and what it might look like. Now, our parents didn't have any guarantees about the world that we were going to be in, so we don't have any guarantees about the world that our own children are going to inhabit. But no. Yes, uh, fair point. Yes, absolutely. But there are, but there are big signposts and uh, big outlines starting to form. You know, in the middle distance, I kind of feel like, oh, this could be not particularly pleasant for my kids. I know. When I'm gone. I know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and actually what you were saying about, you know, trying hard to keep them away from the pollutions of devices and screens and things for, you know, an amazingly long time is hard enough work. And of course, in this circumstance, on the one hand, you're saying, oh, yes, and the air is getting cleaner. Let's think of the positives, you know, and the 
pollutions, you know, diminishing, and we've all talked about that ad nauseum. However, ironically, you're thinking, okay, on the other hand, all those things that we've been trying to steer clear of for our kids, for ourselves, are now becoming unavoidable. So quite often the screens, it's also the fact that if you've got public transport, which is still in disarray, how do you get anyone onto a bus without them somehow getting too close to somebody else and still run a bus service that can work, let alone the trains, let alone, you know, an airport, let alone the airlines? So in the end, what do you have? People going, well, do you know what? I'll just take the car. And a car is what we've been trying to sort of get rid of over these <laughs> last, you know, umpteen years. Um and uh, you feel safer in a car because you're already distanced, of course, from anybody else, mm-hmm. you hope. And you can sit somebody else diagonally at the back seat and you'll be a metre apart. Not two, but here it's a metre. And you just think, this is ironic as well. We're, we're cleaning up the planet on the one hand, but we're going to pollute it further on the other. Because there'll be far more, you know, necessity for technology to ramp up with, you know, stronger uh, broadband widths and, and better signals and so forth so that all this endless Wi-Fi is going to be sustainable. And then the fuel emissions aren't really yet ready to have clean private transport. And travel, how do you get people from A to B without it being a, the privilege of the rich if you've got to triple airfares in order to maintain enough empty spaces as an airline? Those yeah. are things which are backward steps. They're really backward set. So it's all very well saying, well, you can just appreciate your own garden better and, you know, your carbon footprint will be, you know, much, much better by necessity. But actually, no, what that means is that the world becomes a virtual space and nobody is going to be able to to do the good things of getting out there and, and sort of using the infrastructures that have been created to increase equality amongst populations that in so-called civilized places on the earth. Mm-hmm. And that is really, not to mention, you know, let's face it, the sort of dynamics of being enclosed with a whole bunch of people, in some cases, is disastrous. I mean, as, as in every other part in the world, I'm sure the domestic violence rates have been soaring yeah. here and in the UK. And, you know, partly because, of course, you know, there's no escape. So all of these things are problems that nobody's really quite thought about how to deal with. And there's no plan to deal with them because it's never come up before. (laughs) So we are, you know, we're in a position where you're thinking, well, we were, we had a plan for climate change, you know, um, to some extent, whether or not it was ever really going to happen as well as it should do. We had a plan for how to, be better people or live better or increase wealth for more people or whatever. All of the logistics surrounding that are now going to have to be rethought. And and who's going to do the rethinking and how long is it going to take? And, you know, the best will in the world. It's, it's, it's a hell of a thing to get right. Oh, well, it, it is. So, and it, it's a great, it's a great opportunity for um, bad actors to, sweep in and um, make vast amount of money, vast amounts of money at the expense of uh, those who are not able to look after themselves. You know what I mean? Absolutely. That's that's what that's what I keep coming back to again and again is just um, the 
um, malevolent potential <laughs> of the moment we're in. Yeah. And I know that there are yeah. that there's a flip side to that, and that it's also there's an opportunity to remake to remake economies with a green, uh, forward-looking, <laughs> uh, progressive um, momentum. But uh, yeah, yeah. It, it just feels like it can go. It can really go either way, you know. It could, and as you say, the people who are jumping in quickest and who could make the most out of it and ruin it quite considerably for others are always the bad actors because they're quick off the mark. You know, they, they're able to duck and dive through any number of difficulties because they've always had to. So it's no difference for them in the sense, you know, you just see an opportunity and, and go for it. If you're doing something for the greater good, it's, it's much harder to propagate something really beneficial and uh, maybe I'm sounding very pessimistic here, but, you know, it's obvious, really. You know, there's so much energy poured into making a quick buck. And these times with endless online scams and frauds and phishing and people pretending to come and do corona tests at home and then, you know, mugging you in your house and all that kind of stuff. I mean, there's always an opportunity for somebody who's quick off the mark. And... This very little chance that we're going to have people responding in large enough numbers and in a unified enough way to combat that very effectively anytime soon. So people uh, are sitting at home getting more and more worried, you know. Does that collective, <laughs> does the idea of um, collective action become more difficult because of the social fracture that comes about because yes. of this and because of distancing and because of that, you know? Yeah. Um, or does Absolutely. it? I mean, the other side of that would be like, there have been a lot of marches since the U.S. election in 2016 when I was in the States. There have been a lot of marches and it hasn't done a lot to change the dynamic of things. So there is something to be thought about there, too. Like, you know, so you can't go on a million person march. Does that make any difference? I don't know. It makes a difference to how you feel, obviously. And um, but does yes. it make it any difference to the actual concrete outcomes of um you know, a, a shitty, corrupt government doing what they want or, you know, funneling money to their cronies or whatever. I know. I think I think because we, as a species, for all, we have isolated ourselves increasingly, you know, in the age of the internet, etc. We still need to feel that crowd buzz about oh, totally. doing certain things and that, that sort of unifying anger about something that's seen as a big cause that we can all join in on. It's very hard to generate that with endless petitions online and, you know, people clapping on balconies or whatever. It's just not the same. And it's not sustainable for the same length of time because it requires less effort. Um, and that's another thing. You know, if you physically move yourself to do something, you physically go on a journey, by the time you get to the focal point of that journey you're really raring to go if you click on a button you know to sign a petition or donate some money or go yes i agree you know or whatever on a website it, it gives you very little ripple of of sort of emotional satisfaction somehow you know you 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 end up by not having the chance to concentrate fully on any one thing and and our attempts to stop the younger generation from having this kind of butterfly brain which zaps from one thing to another we've got that now ourselves i think increasingly because we're always having to zap from one thing to another 
between the news and the messaging and the keeping in touch with other people in the only way we can, you're, you're, you're just on, always having your thoughts interrupted by the next electronic bleep or thought or necessity to respond to. And none of it is physical. Yeah. And the physical side of things enforces a time um, that that is somehow beneficial, I think, to our evolutionary um, ability to cope with change and big thinking. Yeah. And so I don't know, you know, it's very hard to, to see how we're going to find a way to compensate for that as a species. Oh, and that's in the very long term, obviously. But I mean, you'll know yourself, you know, talking to your kids and mine are that bit older than yours. You say to them, but it's much better. You'll feel much better if you get off your behind and go for a bit of a walk and, you know, stop zapping through WhatsApp messages to all your mates all the time. Just give your eyes time to adjust to the light, sky, you know, whatever. They just look at you as if to say, yeah, whatever, it's so boring. Um, <laughs> and we were like that too when we were teenagers and our parents were saying, you know, whatever they were saying. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure... Um, it's a phase, you know, that they'll go through before they find their own way. But it's hard to see how you can protect them from this completely uh, all-encompassing, endlessly busy world, which creates, if, anything, if nothing else, creates anxiety in a way that they have no idea how to combat and I mean, you know, I, you and I will recognize the symptoms of anxiety in friends and in, in young people in anybody because, you know, we've been around for long enough to see where it comes from and why and, you know, what it could manifest itself as. But with children, they don't know what they're grappling with. And yet they're almost born with it these days. Um, and this is just going to make it worse. So... Ah, so she, oh, we're all doomed. We're all so doomed. There you are. No, it does sound about <laughs> so, it. <laughs> you are first day, first day of freedom, and and look what happens. I was all cheery. I talked to you, and look what's happened. Yeah, no, in fact, I mean, <laughs> I'm such I think a I'm, I'm naturally an optimistic person. I am. No, no, I'm an optimistic person because <laughs> I'm just built that way, and I realise that I'm lucky in a way because I may be completely daftly optimistic half the time, but and with no particular reason to be optimistic. But it's just a kind of organic thing. You know, most of the time you think, ah, oh, it'll be okay, even though you have no evidence to prove it. And actually, you know, that's, that's lucky, I think, because it's not, going to, it's not going to change your efforts to try and make it happen. I don't see that any of us are just going to give up because the future doesn't look immediately clear. And if we don't give up, you know, there will be a way. But at the moment, we're in the thick of the fog, and that's that's what's hard to hard to deal with. Yeah, you just got to keep on keeping on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, well, uh, what was it? Um, onwards and sideways, as one of my friends used to say, rather than onwards and, and upwards. <laughs> just. <laughs> well, um, it's lovely to have a chance to talk to you again. Thank you for taking time out of your first your first afternoon out and about no not at all my hectic shopping trip yes exactly oh it's very exciting so you got the oranges you paid for the oranges there was a traffic jam got the oranges and i'm actually now looking i'm looking very keenly at the entrance of the supermarket which has almost nobody mm -hmm. queuing at all 
and I can't resist it. I might just have to go in and get something else, you know, that I possibly don't need, just to enjoy the sensation of not having to queue to get in. So, fill your boots, Amanda. Fill your boots. Yeah, exactly. We're <laughs> <laughs> going to get yeah. some more prosecco or something. Feel that we should celebrate this change of circumstances for a second. Amanda Hargreaves is a radio producer and a translator, and she lives in Rome. We recorded that chat on Monday, the 4th of May, 2020.